Father, we come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, you are the Holy One. You are the Anointed One. And therefore, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would grant us a fresh anointing this evening. Fresh anointing, O Lord, that we will be able to hear, be able to discern, that I'll be able to speak. Lord, that you would, Lord, convict us and that you would cause us to walk in your ways. We just humble ourselves before thee this evening. Teach us your word. Show us your paths. Grant us grace to not only be hearers, but to obey whatever we have heard, O Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. I titled my message, Are We Receptive to the Gospel? Are we receptive to the gospel? Uh, Romans chapter 1 will talk about the gospel. Paul introduces Romans with these words. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. It is from faith to faith. And therefore the gospel is just not one day. And even as we've exhorted you from this pulpit several times. That we every time we come to listen to the word of God. We hear the gospel. It's progressive. It is the power of God to change us. It's the power of God unto salvation. And we know from the book of Hebrews that it is salvation to the uttermost. It is just not mere justification from our sin, from our past life. It is also sanctification, glorification. So there is a process that God takes us through even as we uh, allow his work to be done in our lives. And therefore, there is always this constant attitude of receiving from God. A Christian is never ever arrived. Okay. We need constantly to be reminded. And this is of course the the linchpin of the Protestant Reformation when uh, Martin Luther says this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So there is a constant Turning away from sin and turning toward God. Turning away from the things of this world and turning towards God. Denying ourselves and picking, picking up our cross every day of our lives. And therefore, repenting is a constant in a Christian's believer's life. And therefore, we need to hear the gospel. And I, the the reason why I titled the gospel, uh, the message as, um, are we receptive to the gospel? It's quite possible that over a period of time that we might just become hardened and we'd have come to a point where he said, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going ahead. This is this thus far and no further. And therefore, you should never come to that point. It's interesting that when Jesus comes uh, to his hometown after being tested by Satan in the wilderness, he comes to his hometown, he goes to his synagogue, everybody is... Uh, is eagerly waiting for the words that come out of his mouth and he opens the scroll of the book of Isaiah and remember that after he reads that portion and he tells the congregation after he says, I mean he reads that out, he says, today these words have been fulfilled in your ears and then he says, you will say, physician, heal yourself. 
And he and he goes on to say there were several widows in Israel that day. But Elijah the prophet was sent to only that one widow in Zarephath. There were several lepers in Israel that day, but there was only one Naaman who was sent from Syria to meet the prophet Elisha. And you remember what happened after that. They didn't take that too well. They wanted to push him down the cliff. They were not receptive to the gospel. And therefore there is an attitude that we need to constantly keep checking ourselves. Do we constantly allow God to work in our lives, to let the convictions percolate through our minds? Into our spirits, back from the spirits, into our minds. It's an osmosis that keeps on taking in our lives, taking place in our lives, and it has to happen. Hopefully it does happen in every believer's life. And therefore, just wanted to put that in perspective, and therefore, we'll look at that passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And Jesus has given this scroll and he reads out. Let's see what he reads. Luke's gospel chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, so far so good, and recovery of sight to the blind. Boy, that's interesting. He added something, apparently. To set the li- at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and he puts a full stop. And he doesn't read. And he says, today, this part of scripture is fulfilled in your years. You know, one of the ways of, I'm discovering this even as I studied scripture, when you have four gospels, or three gospels, or four gospels, do a parallel study and you'll see God showing you so many things. New answers, as I say. I just wanted to juxtapose Isaiah 61 and Luke's Luke's gospel chapter 4 to one on one and see what God adds. See, only God can add. Okay, that is his word. Okay, and Obviously, he was, I don't know if he's read, if he was reading from the Septuagint, we don't know. I don't want to come to any conclusions, but this is what he read. And that was, that's what was translated. And therefore, Isaiah 61, let's see what, what's going on over here. To preach good tidings to the poor, to preach the gospel to the poor. Of course, so good tidings and the gospel meaning the same. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To, pro, pro, uh, I hope you're able to see that. Everybody, you're able to see that, right? To proclaim uh, liberty to the captives. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to those who are blind, bound. And then, look at what he says. Recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he adds something. And then he does not say something else. So several attitudes being mentioned over here to those people who should be receptive to the, the gospel is to the poor, the gospel is to the broken hearted, the gospel is to the captives, the gospel is to those who are bound, which essentially means those who are blind and those who are oppressed. So there is an attitude or rather a, a particular disposition that is anticipated from the hearer of the gospel to what is being preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
You got that, everybody? So let's try to, try to analyze what these, these dispositions are. The first one which I wanted to look at is to preach good tidings to the poor. And it's interesting that I didn't know what today's uh, daily devotions would be. And it is what? Blessed are the... Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and I got the devotion at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, very, very interesting. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is what he's talking about, the poverty in the spirits. And therefore, you'll say, oh, this is an attitude in the spirit. And look at, look at the other gospel. Gospel according to Luke, what does he say? Luke's Gospel chapter 6, verse 20. He says, and he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. He doesn't say poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is to the poor. It is the poor who receive the gospel easily. So what is this attitude he's talking about? Let's let's look at uh, another uh, verse from Luke's Gospel chapter 18 to understand what it is. And this, this you know, this is after the rich young ruler goes back sad. Jesus seeing that he had become sad. This is Luke's gospel chapter 18 verse 24 and 25. How difficult it is to those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Boy. For it is easier. I mean, that's, I like that for. Jesus love, loves theorems. Okay. For it is easier. <laughs> For a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven under the kingdom of God. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? You want to look at some of the attitude of poor people. What is, what is he talking about? One of the things that you can also, I'm suggesting, you know, studying the word very intensely these days, if you want to read through Proverbs, take several translations. Just, just don't read one translation. Just don't read KJV. Read several renderings. You'll get a beautiful spectrum of thought. This is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 23. He's talking about the attitude of the poor. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. What do you, what do you mean by that? You say, well, what is entreaties? Okay, let us make it a little more easier for us to understand. The poor man you utters supplications, <laughs> but the rich man answers roughly. Look at another translation. This is the Living Bible. The poor man pleads, and the rich man answers with insults. NIV. The poor man pleads for mercy. You see that? But the rich man Answers harshly. See. Seeking for mercy. Don't fall asleep. Okay. Seeking for mercy. Seeking. That's exactly the reason why Psalm 51 will start with what? Have what? Mercy upon me, O Lord. That is the reason why we call him the rich poor man. He has this con Lord, I am absolutely nothing without you. Look at some, some interesting verses in Psalm 34. We know this. Psalm 34 verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. You want to look at what this, what this attitude is? Another translation, the New Living Translation. Look at what it says. In my desperation I prayed 
And the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. I remember one young man asking, coming and asking me. He said, Master Vijay, how do you read your Bible? Do you have a regular reading plan? I said, I'm not against regular reading, reading plans. But let me tell you how I read the Bible. I read it out of desperation. I'm not looking to finish my daily devotion. In fact, I can't do it. In fact, for, for, for me, if I read a particular book in the Bible, I have to go through it to come to the conclusion. I need to, I, it is out of desperate. I want to know what God is speaking to me. That is what poverty of spirit is, you see. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened and he saved me from all my troubles. Are you desperate for the Lord? We sing that song. I am desperate for you. I like, I like another one. This poor man, what? Cried. In my desperation, I prayed, you see. Cried, prayed. I look at another, another nuance in another translation. This poor man, what? Called. I love that. Call upon the Lord in the day of, what? Trouble and you, he, and he will answer you. And the Lord heard him, he saved him out of all his troubles. And what is the quintessential attitude of a Christian once he has become a believer? Or rather, how did he start to become a believer, first of all? Look at what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 12 to 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his what? His riches. So, I am looking at a rich man because I am poor. So, what do I do? And those who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what he's, he's quoting from Acts, uh, Joel chapter uh, 3, if I'm right, or 2. Acts 2.21 is the same thing. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So once you're saved, so how did you get saved? Lord Jesus, come and save me. You call upon him. I am absolutely desperate for you. So what happens once you become a believer? Your desperation stops. Look at what he says. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 onwards. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sostenus to the church of God. What is this? These are not to be believers. These are already disciples to the church of God that is in Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place what? Call upon the name of Name of the Lord, our Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our grace to you and peace from our Lord, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Does he stop there? Look at another place. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. This is triple four. This is one of my favorite verses. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. How? Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So Christian life is a life of forever calling out. So, how do I come to the, I mean, these days I'm practicing that. How do I come to the pulpit? pulpit? Help! That's what I do. <laughs> Don't say it out loud. Tension in the heart. Unless you come, Lord, I'm gone. It's amazing, no? You come to the preaching ministry, you'll understand what I'm talking about. If I have to go to my lab for my class in IIIT, one year I struggled. From the next year onwards, children struggled. I made their life miserable, almost. Nobody could play the fool with me. But when I come to the pulpit, and I read the word of God, boy, Lord, what am I supposed to share today? I have nothing to give. Call upon the name of the Lord. That word, 
Tor in the in the Hebrew has an incredible spectrum of translations, you see. And you know, when is it mentioned the very first time in the Bible? It's interesting, the word poor in the Hebrew is called Anan or Evan, or it's not Evan, Enan, I think if I'm right. Enan, Enan, if I'm right. It's used twice for the first time. What did I say? Well, the very first time in the Bible, it is used twice together. It's like this, poor, poor, together. Have you ever seen poor, poor? This poor, poor man cried. You got that? That's that's what it is. This poor, poor man cried and the Lord heard him. I mean, that's the connotation here. I mean, I'm not going to give you, sus- I'm not going to put you in suspense. So can you guess where this could have been mentioned for the first time? If you don't have any guesses, let me help you. Numbers 1, 2, 3 is very easy, right? 12, 3. Numbers, the first time, twice. And who is it mentioned about? Now, the man Moses was very meek. Both are poor, poor. You know, in the, in the Hebrew, if I, see, if, if I were writing, and those people didn't have, Hebrew doesn't have capitals, bold letters, italics, nothing. Now, in, in English, if I have to emphasize something, what do I do? I bold it, or italicize it, increase the font. But in Hebrew, if I have to emphasize something, verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. Why, why can't he say? I mean, he's just trying to emphasize a point. It says, now Moses was the meekestest man on planet earth. Upon the face of the earth. Wow. It's amazing. He was so meek. God said, write it down. Okay. I am so proud of you that the very fact that you're going to write it down is not going to make you proud. Okay, that's one thing. Second thing, write it down. If you do not write it down, you know what's going to happen? The mathematical structure of the entire Torah will collapse. It's amazing. That's remarkable. It's remarkable. And that's the reason why he says, not even one yacht or tittle. That's remarkable, isn't it? Not even yacht or a title is like a smallest curve in the Hebrew alphabet. Even that, he has to maintain precision and he says, Moses, you write that please. So what is his attitude? So what encapsulates the attitude of poverty? In other words, first thing for me, for me, is gratitude. Look at what it says in Psalm 69 verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. And I will magnify him with what? Thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull, which has horns and hoofs. The humble or the poor shall see this and be glad. And you who seek the Lord, seek God, your heart shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his Prisoners. Can you imagine this generation is one of the most thankless generation and one of the attributes of a Christian is Baba. He is forever thankful, forever grateful. He always looks at life positively. He has no complaints at all. You know, 
I was, I was hearing one preacher was talking about, he never used to see any positive, any negative in anybody. Always positive. That person is fantastic. This person is fantastic. That person is always positive, positive, positive. And sometime after a while, this, his, his friends got really irritated and asked him a question. Okay, you see only positive in others. What positive do you learn from Satan? And he looked at them and said, I learned a very interesting positive from Satan. He is one guy who never gives up. Never gives up. I can learn indefatigability, if you will, <laughs> from Satan. All the linguists and <laughs> I'm murdered your English. It's okay. <laughs> I'm only a mathematician, so it's fine. Or an engineer, not a <laughs> See, see, he said, that's the point, you see. He always looks at people and has no complaints whatsoever. Do you have complaints in your life? I mean, I, 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 I like to be around people like that, you know. Always. Thanksgiving. Now you see that. Thanksgiving is an incredible attitude to have. First thing. Next second thing I want to talk about is no boasting. Psalm 34 verses 1 to 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall boast. Make its boast where? In the Lord, the Poor or the same, the humble or the meek or the powerless, the same word, shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. No boasting. How do you get saved? By the way, look at what it says in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 27 to 28. Where is then boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, 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 no. But by the law of faith, therefore we maintain or conclude, we maintain that a man is justified by faith and Martin Luther says, sola, alone. Sola, sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura, sola Christos, sola de gloria. By faith, through grace, by the scriptures, through Christ, unto the glory of God. That is five. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law or from the deeds of the law. And he gives a very interesting example. He says, Romans chapter 4 verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast but not before God. Because God knew everything. He could not come and say, God I left. I know you left, stayed 13 years there. Lord, I left. I know you left, you sold your wife almost. Lord, I left. <laughs> etc, etc. But when he comes before God, nothing to boast. And therefore it says, uh, sorry, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. I have nothing to boast, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for grace. For, uh, naked come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I while I draw this fleeting breath, while my eyes shall close in rest when I soar to worlds unknown and see thee on thy judgment throne rock of ages cleft for me let me hide my 
self in thee. I have nothing to boast. And even when I get crowns, we know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take those crowns. I'm going to lay it down at your feet. There's no boasting, saints. He's going to, he's going to remove, remove all sense of boasting. Mm, that's interesting. So that's the reason why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. And the base things of the world he has chosen. He chooses to all those people who consider themselves to be weak. In this, when it comes to, comes to the standards of this age. And the despise God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. That is the reason why it says in Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But let him boast that he knows me. That is ultimate boasting. And therefore he says, but by his doing. By whose doing? His doing. Nothing. I couldn't do anything to save myself. Even before, what's it? While I was without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. While I was an enemy of God. By his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written in Jeremiah or in Isaiah from right, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He removes boasting and he does it progressively. Initially we'll boast, you know, I did this, I did that. No, slowly you'll see. It starts off from... uh, Chief least of all the apostles to the least of the saints and to the chief of sinners. That's how he does it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I have nothing to boast in. I have to boast in the flesh. You know what he says? This This is my resume. And he says, we are the circumcision. Who are the circumcision? We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, who trust in Christ Jesus, who do not have confidence in the flesh. No boasting. It removes boasting. And is there boasting in our lives? Progressively, God has to deal with that. How about our obedience? I I, I like the way Paul writes it to give God the glory all the time. See? Chandana is working for us in Grace Tabernacle Learning Center. I look at Chandana, she's come a long way. I said, thank you, Chandana. I said, thank you, Chandana, you're doing a great job. But this is not what Paul would say. You know what Paul would say? Romans chapter 1 verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. (laughs) Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I'm not even going to thank you. I would not say thank you for your faith, brother. No, no, no. Thank God for your faith. It's impossible. Look at another place. I like this verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God. Aha. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. My goodness. Obedience. Abigail, thank you so much for being obedient. No, 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 no. Thank God, Abigail, you're obedient. It's only a work of God. Miracle. She's looking at me. I said, listen to me. Otherwise, I'll keep taking your examples. (laughs) See, when I was become a obedient from the heart, you have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching that was committed to you. So the standard of teaching is going to go, only going to increase. And how am I going to come to the standard of teaching is only by the grace of God. There's never going to be any boasting in our lives. 
You know, my, I'll tell you something. If you take oh, if God were to take away our His hand from over our lives, even for a single minute, you will be capable of the worst crime. You see. And what about attitude towards correction? Look at this. I love this, brethren. If a man be overtaken of fault, ye who are spiritual. Rest such an one in a spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That is the reason why he said, I do not look at all the external appearances. One of the things that I look at in women particularly, he said, uh, attitude of a meek, gentle and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is very precious. Attitude towards correction is so important. This is... I want, I, I'm daily, it's, it's, it's so important for me to be in that attitude every day of my life because just because I'm called to preach, I'm in more danger. Just because I know so much, I would say, who are you to tell me? And most of the time, God will always put situations in your life to humble you. In several ways, he does it in mysterious ways, you don't even know. I like this verse from Proverbs. Okay. This is this everybody knows. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble or to the poor. The same thing. I love this. This is a fantastic verse. Okay, mark it in your Bible, saints. Okay, if you have your Bible with you, Proverbs chapter seventeen, verse ten. Okay, have you read it before? You might have read it, but look at this for the first time in a different light. It's just from the English Standard Version. A rebuke goes. Deeper into the one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. A rebuke goes deeper. That is the reason why in Telugu there is a saying, Manshi Manishiki Oka Mata, Manshi Pasuviki Oka Debba. What does it mean? Let me translate it for you. For a good animal, one stroke is enough. For a good man, one word is enough. You know what he says? A rebuke goes deeper. Convictions go deeper when you take rebuke with an attitude of humility. And you constantly keep working. It goes deeper into a man of understanding. Think about it. No, think about it. It's like this. Somebody rebukes you and confronts you. You get all offended and and you just, you just throw your, you throw an attitude. Who are you? Especially happens in, in homes between husbands and wives most of the time. And that's how you become one. And then, just whatever, no? Good thing is, you know, there's something called as, you need to be objective in life. You know what you should do? You should take the rebuke or whatever it is, you just go and think over it gradually. When all your emotions and everything has subsided, consider! What has been told you? Like Pastor keeps telling us, no? He says, uh, whenever you hear a tough message and it has offended you and it has troubled you, what should you do? <laughs> Initially you'll get offended. Um, you'll say all kinds of things to the man. Ah, he's too legalistic, etc., etc., etc. But just go back home and think about it. Just think. Let, let it just percolate through your mind and let it sink in deep. You see, that is poverty, saints. Just put that together. Next, once you receive, you get rid of all boasting, 
what happens is that there will be an attitude to become jealous for the glory of God. You see, that is that is that is, that was the that was the life that characterized Jesus. He was zealous for the glory of God. He went into the temple and he spanked those fellows out. And it says, "The zeal for the Lord's house consumed me." And he says, "You have made my house a house of merchandise." And then again, in the other gospels, it's not the gospels. He says, "You made my father's house a den of thieves." But it was supposed to be called a house of prayer unto the nations. What does it mean? He was actually chasing those people who were at the outer courts where the Gentiles were supposed to come. Chasing them out. Become zealous. And Jesus was characterized, his life was characterized by meekness. Somebody said something. He was angry. And what is righteous anger? He said, somebody said this, this is, I think Pastor Sundakrishna, he mentions it. He says, anger, righteous anger is getting angry with the right people for the right reason for the right amount of time. That's exactly what Jesus did. He was angry with the Pharisees for the right reason, for the right, with the right people, of course, with the right people, for the right reason, until he went to the cross. At the cross, he said, forgive them. He didn't say, Lord, vengeance on them, no? That's remarkable. If we become zealous for God's glory, therefore he says in First Peter chapter 4, as each one of has received a gift, you have received, not you will receive, you already have it, by the way, if you're a believer, you got to find it out. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is the reason why grace was given. Lord, give me grace so that, Lord, I can overcome sin. So what? So that I can walk in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. I am the salt of this world. I am the light of this world. There are so many people who are doing good works, but Lord, what characterizes me is salt and light. When they see me, they say they see something different about me. And unless I have your grace, I cannot glorify your name, O oh Lord. And Peter, Paul will say, in all things, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Zealous for God's glory. And therefore he tells the last day's church, which is a complete antithesis of a spirit of poverty. This is what he has to say from verse 17 of chapter 3. Revelation. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind. That's his analysis. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refine in the fire, that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may, be, may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. Ah. How will you take it, laudations? How are you going to take it? Rebuke. Rebuke. Look for rebuke more today. Look. Pastor, what is wrong with me, Pastor? Have, have that courage. What, what is wrong with me, Pastor? What is wrong? Where am I supposed, what am, what am I supposed to do? Where am I going wrong? Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. I want to change. 
I don't want to be that person all the days of my life. No. No. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Think about it. Now Jesus is out of the church. Not there inside anymore. And he has to tell the church, please receive the gospel. Have poverty of spirit. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes. Think about it. This is the best gift that he can give. I mean, all the promises to those who overcome, I think this is the best. And this is given to the church, which is the most compromised. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Wow. As I also overcame and I sat down with my father on his throne, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the first thing. Our attitude of poverty. Are we really having that? Just check in the light of today's teaching. The second one I want to look at today. Look at this broken heart. What is this attitude? An attitude of recognizing my need to be made whole every day of my life. You got that? You know, the best way to understand this is the song that we sing. Okay. Oh, to grace, how great a data daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amazing. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. This is the song that he wrote. He says, I am a debtor to grace. Because I understand my heart is so deceitful. You know, there's one thing about a sheep. I was, I was listening to this man of God. He said, a sheep are very peculiar creatures. You put them in a, in a, in a enclosure like that. And you, if that enclosure has a hole, they will find, manage to find the hole, get out of the hole, but they will not have the strength to come back. That's a sheep. It's amazing. Most of us are like that, prone to wander. Wander. And you don't spend time with God, my dear brothers and sisters, you're wandering. It doesn't matter what work you're doing. If you don't have the need to be made whole every day of your life, you're wandering. And the question that Jesus keeps asking is, do you want to be made whole? Lord, This person, that person, this person, that person. So many pressures, Lord. Do you want to be made whole? That's a question that he asks all the time. An attitude of continuous recognition of our need to be made whole. Yes, very interesting. Psalm 119, the best psalm you can read. Fantastic psalm. And every psalm is best. Look at this. Verse 4 to 5 of 119. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Okay? 
And then the next verse, oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. That's a prayer. You see that? Psalm 86 verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. What is that? Unite my heart to fear your name. You know, uh, John Piper wrote this fantastic book called When I Don't Desire God. (laughs) It's a very interesting book. When I Don't Desire God. In one of the chapters, he says, you know what? Every day in my life, I need a gear shift in my heart. Changing of gears to communicate with God. I said, Baba, this guy has been in the ministry for such a long time, he needs gears in his heart. He doesn't automatically get it. So what is the gears? He says, I-O-U-S. I-O-U-S, incline my heart to fear your name. Sorry, incline my heart to your teachings. Open my heart so that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. You unite my heart to fear your name. Enable me to have steadfast love trapped in my heart. Look at this. So many times I've mentioned this. Heart is a desire factory. What is it? It's a desire factory. Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Another proverb. Okay. You've never seen this before. For sure. For sure. At least I know for you guys. I've never seen this. Look at this proverb. Fantastic proverb. In the English Standard Version. Also in the NIV. Psalm, Proverbs 19 verse 2. Look at this. Desire without knowledge is not good. My people perish because of lack of knowledge. Because you rejected me. I will also reject you. Meaning, see that is the reason why when you, when the commandment, the 10th commandment talks about, he says, thou shalt not covet. What does it mean? Thou shalt not desire. But Lord, you are the one who gave me desires. What does it mean? Don't have any desires apart from me. I am the one who decides what is right desire and what is wrong desire. And if you want to know what the right desire is, have knowledge. And this word knowledge, by the way, is a knowledge in a relationship with God. You see, last time we talked about it on Sunday. To know God. This is eternal life that you should know Him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet will miss his way. Haste will make a waste. And if you do not consider every day of your life and ask God, Lord, is this right desire or wrong desire? Is this right desire or wrong desire? And desires most of the times have got to do with a lot of emotions. Most of the times. Right emotion, wrong emotion. And of course, we looked at this verse several times. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Because, how long, Lord? How long? I need to be made whole. What does it talk about? This talks about an attitude, Lord, every day of your life, shed abroad, your joy in my heart, through the Holy Spirit, so that I can love you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart. Aha. And with all your soul. That is the reason why he says, we are the circumcision who have no confidence in the flesh, who worship God in the spirit, 
who believe or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you know why? If you have this kind of attitude, this, this is the promise that God gives us. Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And such as have a contrite spirit. And that is the reason why Psalm 51 will say, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. And in every one of us, there are areas that are divided. Loyalties are divided. That is the reason why the writer of James will say, come come to me, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your what? Your hearts, your double-minded, because your loyalties are divided. And ask God to continuously, every day of your life, you will see this. This is not going to be easy, saints, to have the singular purpose unless you ask God. That is the reason why the poverty of the Spirit is the bedrock of Christianity, where you are calling on the Lord and saying, call, Lord, Unite, Lord. Unite. This is a relationship. This is just not theory. This is how you relate with God, how you worship God, how you seek to have a devotional life with God, you see. A constant need. Are we a broken-hearted people? That's the second attitude. Third attitude. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The same in both. The idea here is Jewish had the Sabbath day. I mean, it was unique to the Jewish people. Every seventh day, you rest. Six days, you shall work. Seventh day, you shall rest. Six years, you shall till the ground. Seventh year, you shall keep the, uh, what do you call, the Sabbath of the land. And of course, with the Jewish people. And, and, and that was, that was essentially an act of faith because, Lord, what will we eat, Lord? Don't worry. Sixth year, three times. Seventh year, eighth year, and sufficient seed for the next year also. So what did the Jewish people do? They are really Jewish. They said, Kya mal, mal. I mean, this is, okay, sixth year double increase. Are <laughs> so got the double increase. For 490 years, they did not keep the Sabbath of the land. And you know what happened. The country was divided and they went into captivity. And there was another interesting thing about the sabbatical year. And people in in academia, they have a luxury called sabbatical year. You can take the entire year off and do whatever you want. All the professors looking for that year called the sabbatical year. What is it? What does it talk about? What is this about the sabbatical year? It's talk, it's talking about the year of Jubilee or the cancellation of all debts. And you see what is, what's going on. In Deuteronomy chapter 15 verses 1 to 2, this is what he's talking about. He says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. You got that? At the end of seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. Boy! <laughs> Can you imagine this attitude? Seven years, this fellow said he'll pay back, he'll pay back, he'll pay back, he'll pay back, he couldn't pay back. Seventh year, you said, Jane Rabai. Can you imagine that? Cancellation of all debts. I wish we could have that. <laughs> I mean, people will be swiping credit cards left, right and center. Seventh year, bankruptcy. But look at the idea here. The law was a shadow, but the substance is, substance is everybody, 
substance is Mahinder Christ. Okay, thank you. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact. Means, I mean, you should not extort money from him. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Lord, my heart and money, that fellow takes and you say release. Kya But the substance is of Christ. He talks about another debt. Look at what it's talk, talk, what it says in Colossians chapter 2. This is in the English Standard Version. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. And look at this. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us. With its legal demands. Meaning, legally he has to exact every pie with interest. He has cancelled everything out. Is he set aside? How did he set aside? By nailing it to the cross. You know, what is the value of the cross of Christ? It says the high priest has to go every year into the most holy place and has to atone for his sin and the sin of his, all, all his people. But the blood of goats and, 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 and bullocks could not purge the conscience. But our high priest, he takes his offering, he goes to the most holy place and it is forever. Infinite. Purges. All that it is sucks it up like a vacuum. Nails it to the cross. Wow. The cancellation of all debts. Now what is the attitude therefore we should be having to receive this in our life? There's only one condition. You know that, right? You know it, where I'm going. You know it, right? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 12. Forgive us our debts. As we cancel out our debtors. Yes, my dear brothers and sisters. Forgive us. One. What is that? He paid a debt. I did not. He did not owe. I mean, I owed a debt. I couldn't pay. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Amazing grace. All day long. You say that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch who could not do anything about his debt. An irrevocable, sorry, uh, we can never pay this debt back, whatever the word is. So therefore he says, if you withhold forgiveness from others, he will also withhold forgiveness from you. Look at it again. This is Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 9 onwards. Look at what he says. Take care. Let's there be an what thought? An unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eyes looking grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you. And you will be guilty of sin. Boy, that is the reason why it's interesting. When you come to the altar with a gift and there you remember that, what? Let me hear. A brother has something against you, not you sinned against a brother. 
Lord, he cried out to the Lord against you and you be guilty. Here's an attitude, saints. Cancellation of debts. You don't even know what it means. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verses 10 to 11. You shall give him freely. Forgive him. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give him. Because for this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor. Let me in other words, let me tell you something. There will never cease to be a point in your life where your brother will not offend you. There will never cease. There will never cease to be a point in your life where your wife will not offend you. Husband will not offend you. Sister will not offend you. But what will you do at that time? Will you say, no way. God says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You know that steward, right? We don't have to go to that, that, that guy who owed so much money and the Lord cancelled his debt. This fellow went and started extorting money from his from his servant. Next attitude. Okay, let's look at that. I mean, this is a very exhaustive study, but I'm just, just putting it in a capsule. You can just go and meditate upon it. The opening of the prison to those who are bound, and Jesus is going to add something here just to, to drive home a point. Let's see what, what it means. Uh, the recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And this is talking about breaking the bondage of oppression of sin and demonic power. You know how, you know how it starts off, right? Luke's Gospel chapter 4, you know how it starts off. Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit comes out of the wilderness, of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and now is anointed and he goes and reads in the synagogue. He has broken the power of the enemy in the wilderness. And now he says, this is what he has to say. This is really, really remarkable. Paul captures this beautifully. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, you need to understand something. It's not that the first time you listen to the gospel, you understand everything. Even as you progress in your walk with the Lord, your revelation of the depth of your sin, and therefore the power of the gospel will only increase. Experience of the power of the gospel in your life will only increase. Otherwise, it will just be veiled. I mean, a lot of people have a very mushy understanding of the gospel. They have no clear understanding. They cannot define what the gospel is for them. They can possibly give a doctrinal text, but they don't know what it is because they have not experienced it. And even if a gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. How? In their case, the God of this world has what? Blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's blinded. It's like, you know, it's a double blinding that happens. You're already blind and and Satan comes and sits on you and he blinds you even more. So you don't see areas in your life. How do I know this? Let's, let's, let's move on. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But if you have unveiled, if you have only, if you have, if you have veiled hearts, 
and veiled minds, you'll only partially be able to see the glory. You'll not be able to completely see it. So how does he, how do we break it over a period of time? Progressively. John will talk about this. John's gospel chapter 3 verse 19. And this is the condemnation or the judgment. Light has come into the world. People loved darkness. Ah, this is a remarkable word. It is a love. It's agapeo. It's a desire for darkness. They loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's the reason why many people, they don't want to come out because they don't want to be exposed. There's so much of shame and guilt and hiddenness in so many people's lives. Even in, in, in believers and Christians. And he says, because for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It's a love for darkness and hate for the hatred for the light. That's the idea here. You hate it. I hate light, Lord. Don't shine the torch, please. I hate it. It's, that is the reason why it says haters of God. I mean, John Piper made a very powerful statement. He said, by default, we are God haters. By default. It's not that we love God. No. I mean, even when we become believers, Lord, can't I have my privacy, Lord, please? At least for a few days, few minutes, few moments. See, we hate light. It's a hatred for light. Because he doesn't, because his works are evil and he loves it. He finds pleasure in it. And therefore he says, everyone who hates the light does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Boy, you know, this, uh, this is remarkable. Unless, therefore, God does a supernatural act in our lives, we cannot even love God. Do you know that? God is love. He doesn't need a reason for us to, I mean, for Him to love anybody. But we only love in response. We love Him because He first loved us. It's impossible for us to love unless he creates that love in us, in our hearts. And therefore, what we need to keep asking every day of our life, Lord, help me to love the truth about myself even if it hurts. Like Pastor said, it only may hurt, but it will certainly not harm. You got that, everybody? So what does he have to do? Look at what it says. Acts chapter 26. Delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. This is Paul in his defense. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the what? Power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in he has to do it. Uh, there's a beautiful song in Telugu called, you know, all the famous Purushottama Chaudhary song. We all sang it once upon a time in our church when, sister, when Auntie Catherine sang that. There was, Eho Manamarulalinchano. 
I saw Satan coming and falling down as lightning. But how do we, this is the, this is the purpose of the, why did the son of man come? So that he may destroy the works of the evil one. The purpose of, for the, for the coming of the son of man. But how do we receive it? How do you have this constant attitude of receiving it? This is what he says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ the son continuously cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's just not faithful, he's also just. It's a remarkable thing. We come to it several times. But look at the danger. There's a warning always. In John's Gospel chapter 9, this is what he says. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see, may see. And those who see, may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, the trans- original, other translation will say, your sin remains. So when God says, Vijay, you lied. No, I did not lie, Lord. I know, no. Did you obey? No. Yes, I obeyed. That's what Saul, right? Saul, have you obeyed the commandment? Yes, I have obeyed the command of, command, commandment of the Lord. What am I hearing? What is the sound? Ah, the people. Therefore he says, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. What were you? You were not in darkness. You were darkness. Every time, every place you were going, it was becoming darker and darker and darker. Walk as, but now you are light in the Lord. That's the reason why he says, you are the light of the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You bring it to light. Be cleansed. You can walk free. Bring it to light. And the greatest, greatest hindrance to our deliverance is the opinion of men. And therefore Jesus says, how can you believe those who see glory from one another but will not see glory that, that comes from God alone. See, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither circumcision is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart. Is by the spirit not of the letter whose praise is not from man but from God. If you live in that consciousness every day of your life oh boy, you are free. You are free. 
I mean, Christians are supposed to be the freest people on earth. Because they don't have a reputation. They are beggars, you see. That is the reason that poverty of spirit is the bedrock of Christianity, you see. You, I don't have any repute. I am going to beg. Lord, give, 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 give. Importunate. In prayer. Remember that Syrophoenician lady? Lord, my daughter. It is not meat to give the bread of the children to the dogs. Lord. Even dogs, Lord. They eat of the crumbs that fall from the table. Faith. Faith has made you whole. Faith has made you whole. It's amazing. Therefore, once you are made free, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith God, Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, that's a sermon in itself. I'm just putting that verse. And finally, another nuance. It's in Isaiah chapter 61 and Luke's gospel chapter 4. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You got that? And the day of vengeance of our God. And of course, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is where Jesus stops. And can you tell me, do you find any difference here? If you look at this part, just look at this part. Just focus your attention on that part of the slide and tell me what you see. Having eyes, do you not see? <laughs> look at this. I'll show you. I mean, I didn't see unless somebody told me. See, this is only a, when, see, we are, we are not, we are all people who learn from others, okay? I'm not a theologian, I've never been to Bible college, I learn from so many people. I'm like a beggar of several people. I take my ball and go to John Piper, Zach Poon and, uh, and everybody. It's, it literally, I'm telling you honestly, I have no theological background whatsoever. I take my ball, John Piper, please, John Piper. Uh, of course, Pastor James, of course, here, I sit here. And when, uh, when pastor's conference was happening, here. Here. Exactly here. And when, uh, what's his name? His name? Sammy. Sammy, sir, can you come and, can I, should, should I come and uh, help you out? I said, please, please, leave me alone. I want to sit here. Leave me alone for the rest of the eight hours. Four hours, not eight hours, four hours, four hours. Okay, four hours. Well, it's only four hours, so don't, you can come to the pastor's conference. It's not going to be eight hours. Four hours. I'm a beggar. I go to everybody and learn. And I learned some recently from a Telugu preacher also. Ah, for the fresh voice. Ah, yesterday. Uh, Raj introduced me to that person. So what do you see here? To proclaim the acceptable. What? Year. You see, the acceptance is for how many years? How many days? For 365 days. Vengeance is for? One day. Acceptable year? Day of vengeance. What does it tell me? Lord is long suffering. Long suffering. So long suffering, he said, I don't want to read it. Stop there. But I'm coming. I'm coming. That is what we call as the patience of the Lord. Let your hearts be directed to the love of God and to the patience in Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 5. Look at what it says in Second Peter chapter 3. But the, what is that? Day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. That day of the Lord is going to be, boy, it's going to be the, the day of reckoning. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved in a nuclear explosion, where even the great latest hydrogen bomb also is not going to do anything in, in comparison. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. That should be your attitude. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, will look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And look at this verse. Therefore, beloved, looking forward for these things, be diligent. To be found him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider the long-suffering of our Lord as salvation. One equation. Long-suffering of God equals patience. As our beloved brother Paul, <laughs> according to his great wisdom, I like this man. He was a beggar at the ball. He went to Paul. Paul, please teach me. I am first in terms of... Uh, uh, chronology, but when it comes to wisdom, you have got more wisdom. Please teach me. I like that. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. You know that Lord Lord is long-suffering? But do you? That's the reason why he says, scoffers will come in the last days. Everything is going on the same way. Where is the promise of his coming? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Oh Lord, come. I mean, these are attitudes, of course. If you can go on, Isaiah 61 is an ocean. This is an attitude of being receptive to the gospel. Are we receptive to the gospel? Do we have the poverty in spirit? Broken? Brokenness in our heart, a constant need to be made whole, knowing that our heart has got the propensity to be divided any day. Do we forgive other people so that we can receive forgiveness? Do we walk in mercy? And what is the last one? Do we love light? Do we love truth about ourselves? And if you do that, you know what you'll say? Come Lord. You know, if you do all these things, exam kab hai? I'm ready. Okay. I know the question paper till now. Tomorrow I have, may have more questions. But till now, whatever questions that you asked me, I have an answer. Anticipated everything. That is the reason why Paul tells the Ephesians here, I have preached everything, good, bad, ugly, no person's blood on my hands. Everything has been given to you. That is the endeavor. Do we have that receptive? That's a ball. It says, if we choose to purge ourselves from all these things, he will make us a vessel of honor, meat for the master's use. Let us all be bowels of honor. Let us love rebuke. Let us love rebuke, saints. Let us love rebuke. Let this year be the year where God is really going to be judging our hearts and we will have the courage when people come and say, this is what is wrong with you. Change. Change. And say, Lord, pastor, Brother, elder, who it starts with a pastor, elder, brother, everybody. What is wrong with me? 
let me be judged. Because so many blind spots. You know, even Martin Luther had several blind spots. Really, several, really, really blind spots. He wrote the one of the most intense anti-Semitic literature that you can ever imagine. Very justified persecution of the Jews. A man who started like that can end up. And if justification, justification by faith alone, <laughs> some, a man of God said, if it were not for the grace of God, I don't know where Martin Luther is. Boy, that's scary. So we can all fall. We can all fall like, like Solomon. We can all, unless we are constantly receptive to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. Let this word go into the deepest parts of our heart and bring life and fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.